My name is Jane Borowski, host of Invisible Tears. This podcast will be about my story and my words, talking about my own personal experiences and self-healing. I do not claim to be a therapist, counselor, or licensed psychologist. Hello, my name is Amanda Bedard, and I'm the co-host, producer, and editor of Invisible Tears. I'm a Reiki master, certified professional life coach, spiritual coach, wellness coach, and a counseling practitioner. Some of the content you will hear in this podcast may be disturbing to some. Viewer discretion is advised, but it is our hope by putting this information out there that we may help others to heal. We will always be a platform for truth and healing. This is Invisible Tears. Welcome to the Invisible Tears weekly bonus episode, where we react to the Dark Valley episode that dropped last week. This week is a reaction to episode three. Welcome to Invisible Tears. I'm Jane, host of Invisible Tears, and I'm here with my co-host, Amanda and Drew. Hi, guys. Hi, Jane. Hi, Jane. How's it going today, guys? I've had better days. <laughs> <laughs> but we're gonna we're just gonna keep on a moving today. It's early, so well, it's noonish. So we are here to do our reaction to episode three of Dark Valley. Yep. I loved it so much. I, I listened to it three times. I love that. I, I just can't get enough of it. Who wants to start with their reaction? Or questions too. Drew, did you have any questions? Drew always has questions. I love Drew's questions because it's stuff we don't think of, you know? Exactly. But I bet I can pinpoint a couple of his questions. So the first one I do have is Ellen's case does seem eerily similar to yours. Yes. Listening to the story being told from Jen's point of view, has it hit you differently than any of the other victims or do they all affect you the same? I think most of them affect me the same. Like Ellen and uh, Barbara Agnew and now Bernice. I really feel a connection to those three. Ellen's is so mysterious. We're having such a hard time finding any information or we're finding very little information on Ellen, whether it be on her case or her personal life, what she was like, who she was. It's like, I want to just know more. It's like, how can we find out more about Ellen? She just seems so mysterious in, in every way. I mean, every time we talk about Ellen or Jen does something with Ellen's case, we always come up with more questions and answers. Always. Now we have more questions about Ellen than we did before. When listening to the story, she was last seen at a grocery store near a payphone late at night and wasn't hitchhiking. So I was just sitting there going, you can truly almost replay what happened to her up to a certain point. Do you think about it like that? Oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. Knowing, you know, 
what my situation was where I was sit in front of a payphone. Obviously, he mentioned the payphone. Dark at night, closed door. Kind of on a main road as well. Yeah, kind of on a main road. Cars going by. It's almost like I could be there and visualize the whole scenario. You know, the whole scene. Yeah, how quiet was at night? How dark? The closed door in front of me. It's almost as if I can visualize what she was actually experiencing um, before she was taken. Yep. Now thinking back to the third episode too. What made you run across the street to talk to the old man? Just the way he was sitting there, his age. A lot of people that live there, they've lived there their whole entire lives. So I don't know. There was just something about him sitting there. He was just sitting there watching traffic go by. And I was like, I want to ask him some questions because I have a feeling he's pretty familiar with the area and maybe has some insight on what the area was like, you know, back in the 80s. He was definitely paying attention to what we were doing as well. We were slightly out of place, you know, it was just Jane, myself and Jen. And while I had a small camera and Jen, I believe, had another camera. She did have like a boom mic too, though. So there was kind of like noticeable equipment around. You couldn't really see that we were all mic'd up, but we were a little bit out of place for such a busy place as well. So we definitely did draw a little bit of attention. He was paying attention to us and was probably trying to figure out what we were doing there. Oh yeah, definitely. I think he was very curious of what we were doing. He was really nice. Oh, he was. He was. Yeah. Just sitting there watching traffic go by. (laughs) I did that a lot too. Did you? Yeah. Throughout our whole um, excursion up there and When we went to the rest area where Barbara was, which that'll be in a future episode, I did that. I just walked up to people and wanted to know, you know, do you remember, were you around in the 80s? Do you remember this? I guess it was more of a curiosity for me if they did remember. Was the story still being told around town? Was it still being talked about? Jane wasn't shy. No. Not surprising. I was going to say shocker, right? (laughs) Throughout the, all the years of, you know, since my attack, I hadn't really gone up there and done a lot of research. I don't think I've ever gone up there to really visit all these places and do research or, you know, talk to anybody up there. And I think over the years, it's, it's just something that I've wanted to do for so long. And I was given the opportunity. I was almost excited about doing it. And I don't want to disrespect the whole situation and let's not forget women were murdered. But it was like, I was excited to go up to to see what were people's reactions up there? Were they still thinking about these, these cases and talking about these cases? So it's almost like an excitement, almost like, a, um, I can't wait to hear what people have to say. Curiosity. That makes sense. Now, the last question I do have, it was uh, towards the end of the episode when they talk about the Kellyville resident. Jim. It's definitely left as a cliffhanger at the end of the episode, but it was interesting that he possibly did know Ellen and Bernice. So then it really did raise the questions of if this guy is a a suspect or a person of interest for it, if he truly was the Connecticut Valley killer, did he also know any of the other ones? Because if not, it is a little interesting that it would go you know, the first murder, he didn't know the person. The next two, he knew them. And then the remaining, he didn't know. So it'd be interesting if there are, if Jen is able to find any ties 
to this resident and the other victims, yourself included, to see if there are any other ties. And if there aren't, is it just an outlier that he knew the two? And is that why the local, you know, it's just a local rumor that started? I don't know your guys' thoughts on that. Me and Jen talked a lot about that guy. He has raised a lot of suspicion with her. He has been, you know, definitely a, a person of interest to her. What my opinion is, is especially back in the 80s, very, very small community. Everybody knew everybody. So, you know, like Hinsdale, you know, let's use that as an example. I knew your parents, but also I knew some other people that were related to you, but I didn't know that they were related to you. Right. So, you know, it's like small communities like that, especially when everybody works in that same community too, you have a tendency of meeting or knowing certain people and their families and such. So I really look at him with an open mind. Me and Jen talked a lot about that. And so she she does look at him with an open mind. Yeah, there's going to be suspicions of him because he's such a local person and everybody knows him in the community. Why do they know him in the community? Because he stands out. He's different. One person will know him and say, oh, this guy is weird. And then talk about him to another person. So they know him because he's weird or whatever. And it just trickles down to different people. And before you know it, the whole community knows him. Probably less than half have ever talked to him. But they know that he's different. It'd be interesting if he turns out to just have like Asperger's or something. That is the cause for the odd interactions that he has, but it wasn't, I mean, back in the eighties, how many people had, did you know were diagnosed with Asperger's or being on the spectrum? So Very it's, true. that may be just the cause for the odd interactions. And then just, yep, you're right. The, the telephone game of a person talking to another person. And I do only bring that up because of the fact of it'd be interesting from my point of view, if he didn't know the first victim, then killed two people that he knew right in town and then didn't know anybody else. So it'd be interesting to see if Jen is able to find, you know, in the later episodes, any connections with the other victims too. Oh, I think we're going to hear a lot more about Jim. I think it's very easy to, especially back then and in very small communities for the rumor mill to sort of take hold of people. And exactly like Jane said, even if somebody didn't know him, a story could have turned into, you know, sort of like extravagant and that and that sort of thing. And based off of whomever had interactions with him, labeling him as different or weird or eccentric, it's kind of easy to pinpoint or to direct towards someone like that who sort of stands out like that in the community. Exactly. My two cents on Jim. And you only had two questions, Drew. Yeah, for that. But I did also want to comment that it was really great to hear from Toby, somebody who was really close with Bernice at the time of her disappearance, and to really get a good understanding of what her life and turmoil was like at the time. It was an interesting perspective, a boyfriend. I'm so glad that Jen was able to connect with him as in depth as she was too. You could very clearly here through different points of the interview with him, how much he still feels guilty. I mean, this was how many years ago, right? But he still, he still replays that day and he still replays, I could have done this. I could have done this. I could have done this. Yeah. You could definitely hear the pain in his voice. 
Yeah. It was definitely very apparent survivor's guilt almost, you know, but I'm glad she was able to connect with him and really get some interesting detail since Bernice's parents um, have passed away about what Bernice was going through and exactly what was happening on that day. Not exactly speaking about Toby, but JR's father. Did you guys catch that in the episode too? I did. And that's why I'm kind of surprised that Drew hasn't brought that up. I was very intrigued. So JR's JR was Bernice's ex-boyfriend. Her father drove a white truck because that was the last known description of possibly somebody that had, you know, picked her up was this white truck. But of course, as Toby so nicely outlined for us, authorities just assumed that, you know, Bernice had taken off. It sounds like really didn't do all that much investigating and so much time had passed that he was never able to be questioned because he died before he could be questioned. Yeah, I that kind of that kind of disturbed me a little bit that because she had snuck out a few times, they almost considered her a runaway. She never got in any trouble. A stellar student, uh, never got in trouble in school, and she was well-liked. I've never heard of her making any bad choices or being into drugs or anything like that. It just kind of irritated me that they were really looking at her as being a runaway. I think that's a lot of missed opportunity of finding her. Yeah, it really pissed me off. Yeah, me too. It was really fantastic to hear so much more detail um, of what wasn't necessarily known or publicly out there, especially more of the specific timeline, you know, with Bernice, because both Bernice and Ellen were covered in this episode. And yeah, again, just it was great that she was able to talk so in depth with Toby and he was able to divulge so much information. Yeah, it was. I could almost feel how much pain he was in and and you could tell he loved her and I get first love and I know people are like oh they were teenagers first love you never get over your first love it wasn't like they broke up she was murdered now when you're a 16 year old and you don't get a chance to you know say goodbye or break up or whatever that's got to be traumatic for any teenager like that my heart went out to him he uh said that he he looked and searched and searched and looked for her for so long. It's like, wow, you know, being so young like that, I felt really bad for him. You could hear his pain as he's being interviewed by Jen. You know, it's too bad they could have interviewed JR's father to get more specific about did she get in the truck with them or did they see her hitchhiking or did she jump in another vehicle and anybody see anything or could have done a little bit of process of elimination. That's too bad that they couldn't interview them or interview the dad and her being a runaway that really bothered me. That bothered me a lot. Especially since she was living with Toby's parents at the time and he sort of explained that process and in why she was living there. It wouldn't make any sense, especially with all of the circumstances that like his, you know, mother explained about, you know, her being excited about like her license and, you know, like the things that were going on. It angers me more and more when I hear of law enforcement really just slapping a generic sticker on cases and just assuming because of, oh, because of this person's age or because of they snuck out of their house once they're runaway and we're not going to do our job. They deserve more than that, you know? Yeah, I mean, she seemed like a very responsible 16, 17-year-old. I mean, she had a job. 
she was still communicating with her parents. If she was a runaway, who, who was she running away from? I mean, seriously. After listening to Toby, she seemed content at Toby's house. She just did not fit the scenario of being a runaway whatsoever. Not in my mind. I totally agree. The assumption pissed me off. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. And now back to our episode. Actually, a question just popped into my mind, Jane, that I want to ask you. Okay. Going back to Ellen, with how little that's known about Ellen, what is your opinion? What do you think happened with Ellen, especially since the last place that she was seen was Leo's Market payphone, right? And then her car was found three miles away, locked with her purse in it. What do you think happened? It's so weird from where her car was found. Now she started off at the the payphone. Her car was found. I can't even call it a road. It's a little road in between two roads. There's a road on one side, road on another, and then this little dirt road is in between connecting to the two roads. I don't even think there was a house there. The houses were on the other two roads. Her car was found there. But then her body was found elsewhere. I think one of two things. Either was walking by saw her on the payphone, got her, somehow jumped in her car with her in it, brought her, murdered her, and then dumped her car off at that road. Or there was two people. I mean, we're talking about three totally separate locations for her. There's a possibility of two people. Two of them drove up to the payphone. One got in her car, the other one followed. They got rid of her car on that road, and then they went and and murder. I think hers is the only one that really has three locations that are unexplained. I mean, the payphone, yeah, it's explained. She was talking to her sister, but then her car and everything is found on this road, but her body is found totally different place. I'm assuming that's going to be in the next episode or two, but I, I just find that weird. The logistics of it, it's odd. It's kind of hard to wrap your head around. I'm wondering if the car being locked with person side is significant as well. That piece is kind of stuck with me. It's, it's sort of odd. But no explanation on why her car was at that road. Right. There was no reason for her car to be at that road. She didn't live around there. No. Especially, I mean, when she left the payphone at what, around two o'clock in the morning. So yeah, that doesn't make much sense. Like myself or, or like Barbara Agnew, he wanted to take me with him. And Barbara Agnew, he did take her. But the car, the vehicles were going to be in the same spot where Barbara went missing and where I would have been taken from. With Ellen, it's different. Her car wasn't even there. I don't think we've read anything or anywhere where her car was damaged or anything like that. And they don't even mention if they've ever found her keys or her keys in the car. I don't believe I've heard anything about that either. Yeah, when we went up there, we just assumed that she was taken from the payphone. Right. We had no idea that her car was moved and where her car was found and where her body was found. Her case just has more questions than answers. Now, during your research, you were able to find out that it was a drive up payphone? Yeah, it was one of those phones. It wasn't connected to the building or anything. It was on a pole over on the side of the parking lot and you could drive right up and talk on the phone and then drive away. So that could explain why she was maybe so comfortable talking at a payphone between midnight and two o'clock for that two hour period because she would have still been in her car, right? I never, I've never seen one of those drive up payphones. So I'm not sure how it, it worked. Jane, I'm not sure if you 
Oh, I have. We're talking 80s here. (laughs) (laughs) But I have. It's on a metal pole. It's not on a building. It's usually in a parking area, like a parking lot. And you just drive up. The phone is usually a window height to your car. You drive up and you put your money in and you talk on the phone. Then you hang up and drive away. You don't even have to get out of your car. But, you know, let's not forget this was the 80s, small community. Like myself, didn't feel any danger, you know? It was virtually very little crime around that time. No major crime or no missing women or Bernice was just gone missing. But unless you read the paper or see the news, you wouldn't even know anything about that because there was no social media back then too. Now when people go missing, it's all over social media and everybody knows about it. But back then it wasn't like that. I mean, I didn't even know about these two cases before I was attacked. So I'm sure she did feel safe for all those reasons. Could have definitely helped explain the length of the phone call too, because she was on the payphone for quite some time. I do have a question about some of the reports are from her sister was that she witnessed a car drive by twice and told her, hey, can you hold on the phone? I'm going to go start my vehicle. So if that statement is true, then she wasn't in her vehicle. So would she actually have been at a drive up payphone? but stand outside the car to talk? I think what her comment was, hold on, I got to start my car. So I think she was already in her car. She just wanted to put the phone down for a minute to start her car. Gotcha. She had to look for her keys or whatever. But I think the comment was, hold on, I want to start my car, make sure my car started. Yeah, because the way that the picture was painted, it almost was like a, hey, hold on. I've got to put the phone down. I've got to walk to my car to start it. Yeah. And that's what I thought too. But then the sister um, clarified that for Jen. And that's when she said, no, it was a drive up phone and she was in her car. And then the other family member that was brought up during this episode is Chris (laughs) Cornermarsh. Did you have any interactions with him before he reached out to you on Facebook? No, never. God, when he reached out to me, I was shocked. I was surprised, but I was like very willing to talk to him. He had found me on Facebook and messaged me. And, you know, the conversation started off very casual. I expressed, you know, how sorry I was about Bernice. And he was more asking about, you know, information about the case, if if I had any information about the case. He had uh, brought up a couple of names or one name to me and a description of that person. But I, I told him that, you know, I, I wouldn't know the name and I, the description he gave me was very generic. And then we went on for, you know, further conversation. And then he sent that to me that he felt like that I was fabricating my whole story. That's when I really immediately said, okay, he has some issues. I could not further a conversation or a any kind of a a meeting or relationship with him after he said that to me because I had to question what his mind frame was really like. And um, I I felt uncomfortable with it. You know, I do wish him the best. I know that he's had some challenges throughout the years. He has expressed to me that he has, um, you know, some pretty serious PTSD. He's had uh, counseling off and on over the years. But yeah, for my own mental health, I really had to stop conversation with him. Because if he came up with something like that, who knows what else he would have, you know, come up with. 
And it just made me feel really uncomfortable. I mean, uh, it felt like I was in coerce with the police. We were doing a sting, wanted to fabricate all this in the news to try and catch the killer or whatever. I don't know. Well, if that was the case, they did a really shitty job of setting up that sting. <laughs> yeah, thank. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really sad about it because I really, really wanted to talk to him more about Bernice and his family and what they have gone through throughout the years, you know, their struggles and how much they miss her and, you know, what their lives have been like since. It's sad that I couldn't go further with any kind of conversation or relationship with him. And I don't even really want to say relationship with him. More of, um, how do I want to put it? Yeah, just more so like having the lines of communication open. Exactly. More communication with him. And yeah, it's too bad. It's really too bad. One of the things that I think that I noticed the most, especially when you talk about Chris, Jane, that I think you should make sure and like highlight for yourself is how compassionate you still are for him, even though this fabrication sort of, sort of like this accusation, you know, came out against you. I personally am very glad that you did stop communication with him for simply for your own well-being. I mean, you've been through enough you don't deserve that type of accusation, but you're still so compassionate towards him, understanding how hard it's been for him. Yeah. Now, where were you at in your counseling when these messages came through? That was just at the beginning of the counseling. Um, I think I had been maybe one or two years into the counseling. Yeah, not very far into it at all. I was just starting to recognize a lot of symptoms with my PTSD. Chris is a difficult one. I just, um, I feel so many different emotions with him. I don't want to feel pity for him, but yet I feel so sad for him. And yet I feel like I also have to distance myself from him. But I, I do, I feel a lot of compassion for him. I think about everything that he's been through throughout his life and has not been easy for him. So any more feedback about episode three, guys? I do. I have some more. I um, like the way that Chris asked, came right out and asked Jen, why are you doing this investigative reporting on this? And she really didn't have an answer. And we talked a lot about that. What do I want to get out of this? Or how do I see, what direction do I see this going in? And I don't know that I ever even really asked her that. Why is she doing this? I, I know that she had said to me that she was pretty surprised that Connecticut River Valley cases hadn't really been um, investigated by a journalist yet in depth. Besides the book, when we talked about it, she said to find answers for the families. The families have a lot of unanswered questions. And she wanted to, one of the reasons why she wanted to do it was to find answers. And, um, you know, my reaction to her was, you're going to have more questions than answers by the time you're done. And that has definitely been the case for all of us. I thought, um, you know, answer a few questions and we'd be done. And you have one question and then that leads into another question, which leads into another question that we hadn't even thought about or were just discovering. But I thought um, I would love to hear Jen readdress that question again on her opinion on why did she choose to do this and 
why is she doing this? Someone had made a comment to her one time and she was really getting into the investigative part of telling the story and somebody had made a comment to her and said, you know, your job's not to solve this, which it made her kind of step back and say, no, my job isn't to solve this. My job is to get the story out. I've had to remind her a few times, you know, Jen, you got to look at everything with an open mind. Store this information and store this information, but don't go buy this information. Have it there to readdress or whatever, but have an open mind about everything. With my whole journey with Jen, with doing this project, I've had to step back and say to myself, whoa, I need to relook at this with an open mind. Because once you start going down one rabbit hole, you start going down one direction, you almost feel like you have to keep going down that direction when that rabbit hole has already given you as much information as it possibly could. So use it, save it, and then go into another direction. And um, I think that's what Jen is really doing. Uh, And I think she's doing a great job with it, like the white truck. As soon as that white truck was brought up, she talked about it, she addressed it, but then she moved past it. I think that's the thing I like the most of what she's doing with this podcast. She's visiting all these perspectives, but yet she visits it short term, gets what she can for information about it, and then she moves on to the next. And uh, I think that's what's so captivating about the podcast. I love the suspense of that. She's doing an amazing job. Like I said, I I listened to it three times between last night and today. I just, oh my God, I just, I can't wait till the next episode and the next episode and the next episode. So she's doing an amazing job. It was great hearing from Toby. You know, it's unfortunate, but yeah, I can totally see, you know, Ellen's family not really wanting to share. It's going to be so painful to bring all that back. But I think she's doing, Jen's doing a great job. I'm loving it. Absolutely love it. So am I. I'm hooked. Hooked. Absolutely. And I was there through most of this. (laughs) It's almost like I'm hearing everything for the first time. The way she puts it all together, it's like, oh my God, I was there. But it, it is. It's like I'm hearing everything for the first time. Love it. Absolutely hooked. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Invisible Tears. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast to hear all future episodes. Click into our link tree too in the episode description to find and follow us on all our social medias. And it also links to our website, invisible-tears.com, where you can keep current on any events that may be coming up, read more about Jane and the team, and read more about all the Connecticut River Valley unsolved cases. If you want to learn more about my wellness practice, Guided Path Wellness, head to guidedpathwellness.org. There you can read more about me and my certifications, more about the Reiki and coaching services I offer both in person and remote, and read all about my products for sale that I make through the practice. Feel free to utilize the contact us section on the website with any questions or utilize that free 15 minute consultation booking button if you have any questions about what might work for you. Evil may exist in this world, but we will not let it win. See you next episode.